welcome back Immigrant Nation another week another new episode and another new year Happy New Year to all of you guys who are listening I appreciate you being here I hope you enjoy your celebration uh, I don't know what your culture is but in Filipino culture New Year is very important to us Oh yeah before I forget in case you don't know, you can reach us at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com or in any social media at animmigrantslife. That's where you can contact us if you or someone you know wants to come on the podcast or if you just want to reach out, chit chat or anything like that. If you have questions, that's where you can reach us. All right. Also, I've been posting a lot on social media a lot of personal stuff if you guys want to follow, check my life, or if you just want to check out other contents about the episode. Anyways, I think enough for my rambling, and let's talk about this week's episode. Get ready for a conversation pack with valuable tips on parenthood, love, and money with a relationship and financial coach. From her Jamaican roots to parenting in Canada, we delve into the complexities of merging Trinidadian and Jamaican cultures in raising kids. Discover the story behind their viral posts on Canada's cost of living and the quote-unquote tax of peace of mind. And gain insight on living with a YOLO mentality versus saving as a couple. In this episode, she also shares her coaching journey immigrant money misconception, and key to finding your soul and money mate. This episode, I learned so much, so I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a lot too. So I hope you enjoy it. And let's not waste more time. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a relationship and financial coach, that will help you understand your partner and finances till everything is iry. Everyone, please welcome <laughs> Tanisha Grimes. Hi, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate being here. Of course. And before we get into anything else, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Tanisha Grimes. Most people call me Minnie. You can reach me on Instagram at the mini insights. I am currently uh, doing one-on-one coaching for people in relationships. So not co- not couples, but individuals who are in a relationship and are struggling with financial issues. I can help to coach you through managing those issues and having a more effective communication with your partner and a proper money management plan with your partner so you can feel a lot less stress in your relationship. (laughs) But yeah, and you can follow me and look out for more services to come. I'm working on a workshop and courses. There's lots of things going on behind the scenes and planning some events with um, other people I'm collaborating on. So those things are all taking some time, but it, it's coming. 
It's so a process. More to come in the new year. Yeah, for sure. Mm, I'm excited to see that, man. You got good work on your uh, Instagram, and I'm Thank grateful you. that we connect. Um, before we get into your financing, coaching, and all that stuff, let's talk about Mini, if you don't mind me calling you Mini. No, that's fine. That's great. Like in my introduction, I use the word IRE, which is very specific to any I part realize. of the world. <laughs> the beautiful place called Jamaica. Yes. Yes. You were born in Jamaica? I was born in Jamaica, born and raised until we, I left about the age of 17. 17. How was your life in Jamaica? How was your family? Oh, it was... I love Jamaica. Um, <laughs> I love Jamaica. So my life, it was it was pretty good. I I had lots of friends. I My family was pretty successful. My parents were successful business owners. Um yeah, I went I went to school there. I, Jamaica is beautiful. It's a beautiful country. Um the challenge though is that we have a lot of crime going on. It's uh it's one of the top rated countries for the highest crime rates. I'm not sure what number they're at right now. I haven't checked in a while, but it's pretty high up there. Mm. And unfortunately, my family felt some of that mm -hmm. and so it just got to a point where we had to leave um just didn't feel safe to be there anymore and so canada became that option for us because i don't know if you've looked into it but it's not so simple to migrate to the u.s <laughs> so the, the process to come to canada was definitely more inviting and easier um and yeah we went through the legal way and applied and got through and here we are that's when you were 17 you moved to canada the I whole did, family with my, with my family yeah my mom my dad and two brothers you moved to alberta no actually we moved to brampton ontario that's where we were <laughs> you mean the jamaica of canada <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, there were actually more Indians there than Jamaicans, I would say. But there mm. were definitely a lot of Jamaicans too. Mm. But yeah, I wouldn't know if I would describe this as the Jamaica of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> How was your experience then when you're 17, new country, you were trying to be a woman and you have to uplift your life and start from zero, really? Yeah, um, I don't know if I would say I was starting from zero. I guess for me, I was I was still in school. So I had just uh, finished lower six in Jamaica. I don't know. You guys have that schooling system. Yeah, we it's have like, the American system, high school. Okay, so it's like grade 12. I had finished grade 12 in Jamaica. But we go up to grade 13 before you can go to university. So when I moved to Canada, um, Canada doesn't have a grade 13. But at the same time, I couldn't start university right away because they considered me as like incomplete based on what Jamaica's system was. So it was a weird thing. So it's like I had to now go back and do grade 12 hair as like the final year of university. Um which for me felt like a really wasted year of my life because I, I literally learned nothing new for, for the grade 12 in Canada. I did not, honestly. 
But that was just a system and I couldn't get into university right away. So I just had to do their grade 12 and then apply for university. And yeah, so to answer your question, like my process there, because it was like I was still in school, it never felt like a whole starting over kind of thing, because it's not to say that I was already in the working world and I'd build up a life or anything like that. I was still just now <laughs> starting to become an adult, essentially. and find my way, figure out what it is I want to do in life and, you know, what am I going to study in university? And yeah, so it's, it, it wasn't starting over, but um, it was, it, it took, it was quite an adjustment. Let's just say that. It was quite an adjustment in many ways. Yeah. When I say like back to zero, it means like, you know, you didn't have social you don't have a social structure. You don't have friends. You don't. Have, you don't. You know. That's oh, what I that's mean. That's what you're. Yeah. Yeah. Like in term. Oh yeah. That was hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's that what was I mean. For sure, that was mm. hard. Like trying to make friends at that age was hard because at that age, like most people that age, they kind of already have their friends and they have their cliques, and it was it was really hard. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. to this day, it still feels hard to make new friends really yeah but do you have friends now oh yeah 100 percent um i think most of my closest friends right now um were actually people i met in university i think university is what gave it a fresh start because when you start university everybody's starting too so it's like it's a it's a clean slate and it's like now everybody's in that mindset of trying to meet new people and make friends so you can form friendships a lot easier when you start together. But when you're just like coming into a high school in the last year, when everybody can already has their friends that they've met from the beginning, it's like that's what made it hard. But yeah, I met a lot of great people in university and they're still my friends today. Oh, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. Also in high school, you know, you have that weird accent and oh, yeah. you, you know what I mean? <laughs> And yeah, no like one understands you. You're not from here. You're just like fresh off the boat, as they would say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was, and that's one thing. Like, a lot of people does not understand is like when we when immigrants comes here, we don't have friends, and sometimes it takes time to find friends. It took me. I'm not joking. Well, when the first year here, I made friend. I had one friend, but. She was a female friend. You know, I want to do boy things. But, but yeah, um, but I still want to do, play basketball, do this stuff. And then I don't know if, I'm sure you had some, a group of friends in Jamaica. So you, when you come here, I'm sure you're looking for a group of friends, but you, it took time for you to build that group. Now oh, you're yeah. zero again. And like, how, how, how can I even start? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's difficult to make friends. I think that help, what helped me was like I had to shift my mindset of like, okay, I'm not going to get that group of friends, but I can make one or two. And that's what's important. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I don't think I was trying to make a group. For me, I think the import, the connection was most important. I just wanted to feel connected to somebody, to somebody who could show me the ropes and just like, be there to talk to and hang out with and yeah so I think for me it was just slowly connecting with different people and trying to find 
the ones I would click with and just like slowly develop a relationship and just deeper connections one by one. And however many that works out to be, we'll figure it out. If in the end it was just one person, then so be it. But I wasn't, I don't think I was really working towards making sure that I had just as many friends as I had back home. Mm, 100%. Was there a time that you spoke to your parents wanting to come back to Jamaica? Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, not exactly like that. Like, I wouldn't have told them that I wanted to go back to Jamaica, but I think they knew that I was not happy here. Mm. Okay. They knew that... I missed my friends. I I missed home. I hated the cold. <laughs> I, to this day. Was, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't use the word hate as strongly anymore for the cold. I oh, I still hate it. Oh, you still hate it. <laughs> I will always hate it. <laughs> I think I've been learning how to appreciate it, actually. I think having kids now, um, being born here and growing up in this uh, and having to do like winter activities and things like that, I've had to push myself to to be there for them and to partake in those activities. So I had to shift my whole mindset. I can't. The more I tell, if I keep telling myself that I hate the cold, then I would probably limit them, and they won't get to experience that. So I don't want to take that away from them. So I had to shift my mindset, and it's like, okay, what can I do to embrace the cold? I need to dress better. <laughs> I need to invest <laughs> in warmer clothes. I need proper gloves, proper shoes, a thicker mm. jacket. Like I just had to learn how to dress for the weather. Mm-hmm. 100%. But, but I just don't like wearing so many clothes now. Like, <laughs> to this day. To this day. So that's why I would say I don't like the call. I won't say I, I hate it anymore. But I don't like the cold because it just requires like too much, too much preparation, too much clothes. Like it's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, to me, I, I don't I don't hate the cold. It's when it's windy. Mm-hmm. That's when I hate. It goes to your bones. Oh yes. It's just like that annoying person that just like annoys you. Like <laughs> like yo, get off of me, dude. Like just get off me i got it you're cold it's cold you don't have to tell it to me you know (laughs) but going back to having kids yes that's one thing i hate about having kids they try to make you a better person i don't want to be a better person i just want to be me you know (laughs) Uh, uh, sounds like you need to talk to someone aaron (laughs) (laughs) no i love my boys you should be a better you should always be striving to be better of course i try that's why i don't like it i coach basketball (laughs) i coach them for for basketball i it's the greatest thing ever it's just like i just want to be a shitty person leave me alone but apparently i'm not allowed because i'm a dad (laughs) maybe i don't I would like to think it, that's not what you're striving for. I don't think you want to be a shitty person. Maybe <laughs> you just you just don't want to have any responsibilities right now. You just want to no. like relax and do whatever you want. That's what I want to do. But apparently, yeah. you, to be a good dad, you have to do things like that. All right, I guess yeah, I'll have do. to do that. Mm-hmm. But no, I love being a dad. It's my greatest thing. Did you plan being a mommy? I always wanted to be a mom. <laughs> like... From like I I knew I always wanted to be a mom from as a kid playing Dolly House and stuff <laughs> like that like it was always a dream of mine for sure mm-hmm. yes. How was it feeling when you found out you're pregnant the first time? Like 
oh my gosh, this is really happening. And then it shifted into, oh my God, this is really happening. Um, yeah, it was it was a bit of there's a mixed feeling, of course, which I, I think every mom goes through. There's the excitement and then there's the fear and then there's the excitement. And then when they are here, there's the frustration and there's the, the feeling of like, oh, my God, was I really ready for this? Like, yeah, it's sometimes questioning <laughs> your life choices. <laughs> I told you I have older boys and it never stops the questioning. Did, when I told them to not to wear boots, should I have told them to wear shoes instead? Did I told them to wear shoes? Should I tell them boots? Do I do they need to ther- go to therapy? What's going on? Did I mess them up? Oh, it's endless torture. Yes, yes, for but sure. it's the best. It it's is. The best. I have no regrets. It's definitely an important part of my life and who I am. Mm. How's mommyhood? Does it? present to you the same expectation as you were expecting oh not at all (laughs) (laughs) definitely not and i think many people talk about this that honestly i don't think it's one of those things you will ever know until you experience it like i i grew up around a lot of people with kids uh, so i i felt like i was prepared mentally i felt like i I understood the workload. I understood all of what you would have to do. <laughs> um, I thought I did, at least. But I, I think the part that nobody could ever prepare you for is it's like those your child bring, your children will bring out completely different sides of you that you didn't even know was there, and. Even in the work that I do right now, like I have learned a lot about how our own childhood has influenced who we are today and how we show up in relationships. And so even the relationship we had with our parents has a big role to play in how we are today. And so some of the interactions you have with your child right now, like when they do something that like really just gets on top of your nerves or fires you up and you might find yourself reacting in a way like people react differently. Some people might scream at them. Some people might shut down completely. Some people might feel like, oh, this is too much. Like they're extremely overwhelmed and it's a lot. Um, What you'll find is like in those moments, the way you're reacting has a lot to do with like, your own coping mechanisms and stuff you developed as children and you're now seeing that side of you so like you screaming at your child when they're frustrating the hell out of you is not because you want to scream at them like it just happens and it's like your brain just turned on and told you like that's what you're supposed to do and that could be because that's what you saw your parents did and it could like so many things play a role in that so All that to say is, that's what I wasn't prepared for. I wasn't prepared to like find these sides of myself that I never thought about, and that's where I think nobody can prepare you for that. Like every every mom, every new mom, as much as you try to figure out all the things you have to do when your child will be born, there you are going to have that own one-on-one interaction with your child that is going to teach you so much about yourself 
that you wouldn't have, you could never prepare for it, mm -hmm. ever. <laughs> and this is what I mean by making you better. That's why I don't want to be better. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. So it's like when they show up that side in you, it's like now you get to decide what do I do with this? Do I actually try to work on my tempo? <laughs> do I try to figure out why this is triggering me so much? Like, you know, and do I heal from this to become a better person? Or do I just like say like, oh, no, leave me alone. <laughs> I just want to oh. yell. It's easier to yell, you know, yeah. but then you're like, no, you have to be understanding. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> but yeah it's it's the greatest yeah. what's your main fear of raising canadian kids my main fear of raising canadian kids oh i don't know i i don't and i so i i have a thought that's in my mind but i i don't know if it's specific Canadian I think I just became more aware of it since living in Canada and it's the bullying like in schools so I'm pretty sure bullying existed back home for us but it wasn't it wasn't such a big thing like it it was not I I can't recall at least like having all these campaigns around bullying and you know seeing so many initiatives being done to stop bullying. I don't remember that being a thing back home. So I probably felt like bullying wasn't that big back home. But here in Canada, it's everywhere. And I have so many friends who have stories of their kids being bullied in school. And there is very little that they feel like they can do as parents. And I think that's what I fear. Like, I, I fear. Like, I just feel like, am I preparing my kids enough to be able to handle that when they when they get to school? I completely understand that fear. And my youngest had issues when he was in elementary with this kid that he was, you know, he's a special case. You know, he has uh, learning disabilities and all that stuff, which I completely understand, you know. But I feel like the school, uh, they made him feel... At least this is what my opinion is. They made him feel like I can pretty much do everything and I'm not going to get in trouble. Because mm -hmm. through his entire uh, school life in elementary, this kid follows my son all the time. And he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily, they always fight because my youngest, he doesn't, he doesn't deal with bullshit. He, he doesn't. He just, you know. So one time he got in trouble for because he has a group and he says like okay we're gonna play and the kid wants to join but this kid always causes trouble when they play they cannot play properly because he just causes trouble mm -hmm. so he said like no you cannot join because you're gonna mess our game and everybody knows this right so he got in trouble my son because he was the leader of the gang you know i was like okay i get i get it let it slide and then one time they called me to pick him up because apparently they got into a fight, the two. And apparently my kid wasn't even doing anything. The other kid provoked him. Mm. Uh, daddy mode's on. Mm. That's when I got <laughs> mad. I'm like, yo, you know what, dude? Every You guys always talk about bullying. This is bullying. Why are you calling me? Why is he staying in class and my son is out of class? 
This doesn't mm. make sense. He's the one who's causing trouble. Everyone knows he's the one who causes trouble. I get it. He has problems. But he's the one who causes trouble. This is bullying. Exact example. I'm taking mm. my kids home, but I don't want this to happen again, ever again. Because n- next time, we're going to go somewhere else, and you guys don't know what's going to happen. I don't, you right. don't like, you know what I mean? And uh, it was a hard situation. Thankfully, during, I think, grade six, the kid kind of mellow out or something. And, you know, sometimes I question myself, like, am I being selfish or not understanding to the child that has needs? I found out later on that there's some parents that was having problems with the same person, the same kid. Mm. Wow. So it was just like a thing with that kid then. It's it's a kid. He he likes to provoke others, I'm guessing. He does because he doesn't get enough attention, I think. Also... um, he has. He knew that he has the power that he'll never get in trouble because he has a special case. A special need, yeah. Your special needs, yeah. Special needs, special case, whatever you want to call special there. But it okay. was the same situation. So it, it's it is a fear. But like you and I, we do our best, and you know, what is it, you know, it's not like back home you start swinging at people. You know, <laughs> you have to go through the red tape. Yes, you do. It's the the system makes it a little difficult for sure. Yeah. You love being a mom? I do. Absolutely. <laughs> there are definitely days I don't, <laughs> but <laughs> the general feeling is I do. <laughs> is there like a significant Jamaican value that you would love for them to absorb and practice till they grow old? Um, yes, I think I actually made a post about this, um, recently too. It's this value that we grow up acknowledging people wherever we go. So (laughs) if you go for a walk on the streets and you're passing someone, you just greet them. You say, Hey, good morning. You don't have to have a long conversation or anything. It's just like they're passing you, you're passing them, your eyes made for, you just acknowledge them yeah you go in the elevator and people are already on the elevator and you step on you just say hey good day good morning like it's just it's just an acknowledgement that's it um I think for me that was one of the biggest culture shock I had when I came here because that was something that was like literally instilled in us in Jamaica to the point that if I'm walking with my parents and Someone says good morning and I don't respond. Like my parents would scold me to be like, "Hey, you didn't you hear the person say good morning? Like, where's your manners? Like, mm, you're what's dead. happening?" Yeah. yeah. So it was like really ingrained in me to do that. And so when I came here, um, I think the first experience for me was an elevator incident. To be honest, I think I I stepped on the elevator and there were people already in there, and I said good morning and they literally all looked at me like I was crazy like it was like who is she talking to like I don't know her like that was the look that he gave me and I felt so weird about it and I thought okay um that was odd but I wasn't gonna like let it stop me and then after that I tried this again and in different scenarios different settings you know I walk into a room with people already there or and I, I just keep doing it. And I realized more and more, like, 
people just kept looking at me weird. Like, why is she talking to us? Like, we don't know her. <laughs> so slowly, I just had to learn to adapt, you know, like I, I've learned to figure out sort of like where and when to say it. Um, and now that my kids are growing up here, like I, that, I feel like that's something I'm struggling with because I, I want to model that for them. I still want to keep what, like for us, we call it having manners. <laughs> so yep. I, still, I still want to make sure that we all show that we have manners and I want them to have manners too. Um, but it's so hard because I'll model it sometimes like I'll still do it when I'm with them and then the other person just doesn't respond you know (laughs) and it's like well I don't know what to do and I've seen moments too where I'll tell my son to say you know like when we go in somewhere else like remember to say good morning and he'll say it and nobody acknowledges him and I guess I could see the look on his face like you know mommy why did you tell me to say that (laughs) yeah you you put me in a situation yeah, so it's it's one of those things that I I think I'm still struggling with how to hold on to that value that that means so much to me, um, and raise them with its hair. But I I definitely don't want to lose that, and I I don't want them to not have that. Like I want them to grow up with that, but it's just a lot harder doing oh, it here. And the, you, I mean. You can still continue telling them like, "Hey, you still have, you know, you should say hi, good morning to everyone," and oh, explain yeah, I and, do. and explain to them like, "Hey, it doesn't matter if they respond or not, as long as you do the right thing, and you yeah. know that's the right thing. That's what matters." Yeah, I'm. I'm still trying. I mean, like I said, my oldest right now is four, so he's only now starting to finally make sense of the world and understanding so it's only now that i could actually start having intelligent conversations with them too (laughs) so yeah i'm definitely trying more and more to to tell him those things but when he was a lot smaller too like two and three he's also still in his shy phase so you know it's not all the time that he would even say hi because he's just super shy and he still has moments like that right now too but yeah i'm i'm definitely trying for sure. That's it's what just we do. hard though. It, it would be it would have been a lot easier if other people would say it back. And don't get me wrong, there are people that do, uh. It's just I wouldn't say they're the majority though. Yeah, a hundred percent. I know you're married to this gorgeous Trini of a man. <laughs> gorgeous Trini. <laughs> um I obviously, you know, Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica, as much as they're close by, they're they have different cultures. Yes. How, do, how do you find the balance of teaching uh, the Trinidadian value and Jamaican value? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I So, let me think about that. It's definitely a, a, an interesting dynamic, I would say, in our home. Um, I think at the core of it, there's a lot more similarities than differences. So that's not too difficult. Like at the the core of who we are as a Jamaican and a Trini is still it's very similar in terms of the the real values that we have. But in terms of the differences, it that tends to be reflected, I would say, probably in like the foods that we like to eat, <laughs> um, the music that we listen to. 
and definitely some of the, the the way we talk. So even how we pronounce some of our words and things like that. And so from time to time, um, we'll certainly have those differences with our with our kids or or my son in particular, since he's the older one, where you know just like trying to figure out like you know which food we want to push more (laughs) yeah we we like we sometimes like different things um like my husband for example like mobby is like a favorite drink for him and i don't know if you know that drink at all yeah i'm I'm close with uh, the islanders yeah, well, I find that to be a very bitter drink. I don't remember <laughs> ever drinking that in Jamaica, so I don't think it's a drink for us. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a big thing, <laughs> I would say, in Trinidad. And yeah, I find that to be a lot. <laughs> I do not <laughs> like it. But he loves it. And so that's one of those things where I would feel like, mm, I don't want you to be giving my child that because that's so like gross. It's bitter. It's, you know. And he's like, no, like, this is good. And he wants to give him. So he'll try it. I think in the end, what we do is we just, we expose our children to everything. So, like, as much as we can. And we let them decide. Like, we let them figure out what resonates with them um, and what doesn't. And so they will become who they want to be and gravitate towards the bits and pieces of each culture that they like and yeah we'll go from there but we don't we're not sitting here trying to say that one is right and one is wrong and you know be like we shouldn't push that and things like that so i do the same thing my wife is just i'll show you i'll show them something and i'll show them something and the rule is you have to try something once Mm. you know you because you'll never know if you like it or not yeah that's the rule and then i'll make them decide whatever it is could be it could be food it could be an experience it could be anything you gotta try it once and then you tell me what you think if you don't yeah. like it fine we'll move on you know yeah but yeah. sadly though i think i think my son did actually like the movie when he tried it <laughs> and i was like what is happening here but no but <laughs> listen to me he's being unfair your son because it's dad dad's the dad's the superhero you know dad's superman of course he wants to please dad he probably hate that drink I'm like, this is garbage <laughs> drink. but i want dad to be happy i'm gonna drink this anyway <laughs> you think so i don't know uh or he probably has it in his dna like i like this drink it's natural for him you know maybe but he still has time i know his taste will change over time so Mom is gonna make sure it changes. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't try to change them. It's, but I, I, def- I definitely won't be drinking that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love that post that you did, the viral post that you did about explaining that you have to pay for the peace of mind. Can we talk mm. about that post? I love that post. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think the idea behind that post was highlighting that I really do love the Caribbean and at at my heart since that's where I was born and grown like that still strongly feels like home like that's where I feel very connected to it um but living here in Canada there like I I still choose to live here 
(laughs) I mean, a lot of people say, like, why don't you just go back home? But I am choosing to live here because I want to live here. And that's what I was trying to bring out in the post that, yes, I am choosing to live here. And this is the price I am paying to live here. It is these things that other people might identify as like negative things, which is the cold, the high taxes, the expensive foods and things like that. But I'm choosing to pay that (laughs) because in the end, I am getting a peace of mind. So that was the idea behind that post, because it's a question that's been asked to me on several occasions as to like, why don't you just go back home? Or how could you sell out your country or things like that? And it was to address that. It's a, it's a bit of me trying to also share my story to connect more with my audience. So they have a bit more background on me. And yeah, as an immigrant here in Canada, but still feel very connected to the Mm -hmm. Caribbean. I'm grateful for that post, by the way. Thank you so much for the post because it changed the way I look at things too. Because I never realized like, yeah, I have to pay for this piece. I have to pay for this safety, freedom. Yeah, I'm actually interested in hearing how you receive that post like what did that mean for you what came up for you when you listened to it because I've asked a few people and I realized that there are so many people that have received that post in a different way there are a lot of people who saw it as just me complaining (laughs) 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 and I was not complaining because in the end I absolutely love living in Canada there was no questions on on my love for Canada that was not the point of the post but there are so many people that took that away from it they're like oh well you're clearly unhappy why don't you just go back home go back to your country yeah <laughs> yeah i i know when i saw him like yes totally you you have to pay i was having a conversation with a with um with a guest about this like you have to pay for progress because where i grew up it was a small town well when i grew up it was a small town but then we always wanted this this uh, convenience and the con- now the convenience is there and then now they're complaining about the convenience being this and that and i said no the progress you have to pay for progress and mm-hmm. the same with i guess it's pretty much the same it's like you want peace of mind you got to pay for that dude you need police you need infrastructure and it's yeah. not cheap yeah exactly Exactly. <laughs> there you go. It's not cheap at all, but that's why when I saw that post, I'm like, yo, this lady got something. I'm going to follow her. <laughs> well, thank you. But yeah, you nailed it. Like, that's that's the thing for me. I'm like, yeah, people will complain about the taxes and all those things. And, and it's like, I get it. Taxes are high. Everything is expensive. And I will happily play it. <laughs> I will happily pay it because... In the end, like that money that I am paying is giving me a peace of mind. Like I feel a lot safer here. I feel like when I call the police, I know they will show up. I, I even the um, medical, the healthcare system, like I have valued so much from that. Um, just from giving birth here twice, like I have reaped many benefits from the healthcare system. So I I will stay here and pay that. (laughs) Is what I'm saying. Uh, Trust me. I think it's coming from people that has never been put a gun against their face 
or right. you know that exactly. got you know unfortunately women vi- violence against women walking in the in the at night by themselves that will never happen in the Philippines or I'm assuming in Jamaica as well because the chance of that something happening to that lady astronomical yep exactly I would not if I was back home there is no way I would be walking out late at night it's just not happening like not to it's the experiences I've had at least yeah there might be some people in other parts of Jamaica that could say like oh yeah you know I feel safe where I am and that's great great for you <laughs> but you know your experience was not my experience so 100% I remember when I was new here in uh, Montreal and a friend of mine lived in the quote-unquote ghetto mm-hmm. and he's like oh you want to visit me you know I live in the ghetto whatever you know I went to the quote-unquote ghetto I'm like this is like the most peaceful place ever <laughs> you know, like, I, I get it. There's people that are, you know, hanging on the street, some guys. I walk in, my, my, you know, head's heard straight, no fear, no nothing, you know, respectful, but, you know, no, no fear. I'm like, yeah. dude, back home, I go to the next street, there's fear already. Yeah. Because you never know what's going to happen the next street, you know? Yeah. And I'm just saying there's no... I'm not saying that there's no uh, dangerous place in Canada. Of course, there are places that are dangerous here. But compared to the danger back home is really, like, real. And you have experience. Everyone has experienced it, right? hmm You know? I, I just, like, privilege point of view. Speaking of that, I know you received some hate about the post. How did oh, you deal with that? Hate. Um, honestly, I... So before I started to really put myself out there a lot more on Instagram, I had to do a lot of self-work. <laughs> I had to, there's a lot of processing I had to do with my own emotions and um, learning how to like recognize that everybody's sort of like walking around in this world with their own experiences, their own traumas, their own there's so much going on for each of us and so when things happen when people react a certain way towards me um there is very little I can do to control them like the only person I have control over is myself and so I've done a lot of work on myself to like learn that and to learn how to not let what others say really affect me or change me in any way and just to kind of see them for who they are and and what they're sharing and so with every hateful comment I might receive on a post um, I see it as someone sharing their thoughts based on their experiences so there are some people for example like the ones that tell you like oh well you know you're the same people that's that's like coming here and bringing your crime and everything to our country and, you know, go back home. <laughs> um, I see, I see them and I validate them and I get it. Like I, for them in their own experience, they have probably felt that they, they probably have had experiences with immigrants here who have made them feel, um, 
some form of crime against them. And so I empathize with them. And I, I realize that that's just them speaking from their experience. But I don't accept it as an attack on me because they don't know me. <laughs> We've never met. And I've definitely never tried to hurt them in any way. So that's what happens when I see any form of hateful comment. I just process it in that way as like, okay, so this is you speaking from your experience and how my post made you feel. And I just I just see it as that. <laughs> like I just validate their experience and I, I let it go as that. It's just their experience. But it's that has nothing to do with me. <laughs> like it's so because it has nothing to do with me, I it doesn't bother me. I just I move on and I just keep going and I'll put something else out there and I'll get the good comments and it will always come with negative comments too because everybody ha everybody out there is going through something and things that I post will trigger people in different ways and it will all come out. So <laughs> I love it. So balanced thinking. Yeah. So you can tell that you really did some deep work. <laughs> I did. I, I had to to get to this place. It's it takes a lot of self work. Mm -hmm. Believe me, yeah. Let's shift a little bit from data analyst to relationship and financial coach. Oh, what's the backstory there? How did you get uh, into that uh, kind of world? Yeah, um, good question. Let me see if I could maybe try and summarize this for you. So my background is I did a double major at the University of Waterloo studying actuarial science and statistics. Um, and then I went on to do a master's of management analytics. And throughout this time, I have always been working as a data analytics manager. I did that in two different big banks in Canada, Scotiabank and Royal Bank of Canada. And then I moved on to Amazon. Throughout that entire period of my life, I always felt like my goal was to climb the corporate ladder. That has always been what I thought I wanted to do because I have always been sort of chasing the money. Um, I always felt like, yeah, that was my, I grew up in a, in a home where I, I thought money was the problem. I thought that my, Parents would argue about money a lot. The people are, I was around, like, I always felt like everybody had issues with money, you know? Like, money was such a big deal for so many people. Um, and so I always felt like, yeah, I'm just going to, like, make sure I can work hard and make a lot of money so I just won't have these problems. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. And and that's what I did. So that's why I thought like, yeah, the more I climb the corporate ladder, the more money I'll make and the happier I'll be. Well, honestly, the more and more I was doing it and the higher up I was going, the less and less fulfilled I was feeling. Like I literally started to hate life. Like I mean that. Oh, <laughs> like no. I I got to points of depression. And and this is why I tell you, like, I did a lot of work on myself because I eventually started therapy and that just changed my life. The greatest. So, yeah. <laughs> the greatest. Yeah. So it's, um, it just showed me at some point that this was not for me. Like this, this dream of trying to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, chasing money in this way was not for me. 
And I try to really dig deep to figure out, okay, what, what is it that really lights me up? And for me, it has always been helping people. It has always been trying to teach people things that I already know. It has always been connecting with people and work, you know, developing relationships. Um, it's been sitting on and listening to my friends talk about stories with their partners. And instead of trying to like tell them to leave their partner or anything, <laughs> I would be trying to like find ways to get them to make it work. I'm know? the guy that would say, leave your husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was always trying to figure out like, no, there must be a way because it, it would always baffle me how, you know, two people would start off like so in love, you know, can't keep their hands off each other and they get married and everything. And then within a few years, it's like, oh, I hate this, this guy <laughs> or I hate this girl or, you know, it, it's like so much tension between them. And I, I just felt like there had to be a better way. <laughs> like, you know, it, it this can't be it. So. I, anytime I would talk to friends like that, I would always find myself being the one trying to help them find a solution to make it work. Um, so yeah, so fast forward now, I'm working at Amazon and now I got pregnant with my last baby here, my second baby. Um, and then I got, I went on maternity leave. And while I'm on maternity leave, I just started to, it's just like this feeling of like, I need to do something <laughs> like I need to I, I want to help people you know I yes my job is okay it's good I'm making good money like but it this does not light me up and so I thought well while I'm on maternity leave I'm gonna use this time to like put myself out there and just like start sharing what I know um with people about money management that's how I actually started because that was something I felt like I was already pretty good at. Um, my husband and I did that very well. Since, as I said, I always had this thing of like, I don't want to be fighting over money or having problems with money. So I've always tried to learn about money management and developing good systems with my husband to manage our money. And so I did that. And I thought, what if I could teach people how to do this? You know? And so I thought, okay, let me start making some content and just like put some tips out there and see what happens. And so I started doing that. And then there are people that started to reach out and say, hey, yeah, I want to learn more. Can you help me? And so I started working with some people um, to give them some tools and some tips on how to manage their money. And as we're doing it, I realized that there are some people I was hitting a roadblock with. Because their problem wasn't just managing money. Their problems went a lot deeper. Like it was like they just really didn't know how to talk to their partner. Like they just they just didn't even know how to be a team. Like this wasn't just about money. It was just like being able to see your partner as we're on the same team, <laughs> you know, and we do everything together. Like there are a lot of people that struggle with that. So no matter how much systems or tools I would give them, if they don't even have that mindset, then my tools and tips weren't going to work. So so I was like, I have to go a lot deeper. <laughs> like I need to figure out how to connect with these people more and like really teach them how relationships are supposed to work. 
But I felt like I myself didn't even know much about how relationships are supposed to work. So I was like, I'm going to study this. And so I did. And I took courses, I read books, and I really tried to um, enhance my knowledge in that space. And that's where I was like, okay, this is awesome. Now I have the relationship expertise. I have the financial expertise. I'm going to merge this. Like it's it's going to be like a complete thing. So now I'm not just going to be helping you by telling you how to manage your money. I'm going to help you figure out how to work with your partner effectively by communicating more effectively to develop your own systems to manage money together. And so that's how this was born. Yeah. It's well <laughs> like it's well thought niche. I'm like, yeah, I mean Finance is awesome, but if you're with someone that's on the same team and just blowing money away, you are going to drown 100%. Yeah, you can't do it alone. Like It, it has to be a team thing. Like, mm-hmm. There are so many people that are married and they're just sort of operating as like, well, that's your money. This is my money. You do what you want. I'm just going to manage my money. I don't properly. understand this. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't understand this. This is not a relationship. This is a partnership in a sense like you guys are business partners. You should not Correct. live together then. Exactly. I know you posted something about having a joint account. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain to the listeners like what's is joint account better or separate accounts better? So I see it as you definitely need to have at least one joint account. And why I say that is because there needs to be um, some form of goal that you're working together on. And having a joint savings helps you both to contribute to that goal. So that way you feel like we're a team in working towards this goal. There are a lot of people who like to just um, have everything all joint. And then there are some people who would like to have a mix. So you have my own account, your account, and we have the joint accounts. My husband and I are like that. So we have a mix. We have some that's mine, some that's his. And it it just kind of provides still that feeling of like independence sometimes because something that I I also try to promote with the people I work with is that each of you should still get to kind of have like your personal money, like that that you can spend on what makes you happy. Because yes, we're a team, but each of us values different things. Like there's going to be something that you love way more than I do. Like he might be into electronics and I don't care for electronics as much, you know? So, and I might be into, I don't know, what am I into? Makeup. No, I'm not even into myself. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. Let me just say. Let's, let's use like shoes, for for example, because that's a, a common thing for females, right? So mm. they like to spend a lot on shoes. So the guy spends a lot on electronics and she spends a lot on shoes. Like you should still be able to kind of have your own money that you're spending on that. And so that's where I think it it's good to sort of have the independence accounts where we both kind of have our own money in that account. But the thing is, like, there's still full transparency here. Like, we still sort of know that, yeah, like, each month I have about a thousand. 
I'm just throwing random numbers out there. Mm-hmm. I we each have like a thousand to spend on whatever we want. Um and that helps. And so there is no kind of like I don't have to run it by him every time I mm. decide to yeah. go buy a pair of shoes or if I want to go for coffee or I don't drink coffee but <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know I get it. Saying? Yeah. I say yeah. I do the same thing with my wife like we do the same mix like you know that there's independence but at the end of the month I'll, I'll tell we had, we'll do a review like hey this is what we have this is what you have this is what I have and then that's it and she's and she's like it's okay I know I, I know you got it balanced I'm like you know someday I'm just gonna leave you I'm gonna take all the money yeah you have to know this and she's like no no you won't I'm like well, maybe someday. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but no, yeah, joint account is important. And your own yes. feeling of just independence of freedom. Of like, I want to buy a coffee. I don't have to tell, you know, John or Mary, like, yo, I'm get- grabbing a coffee. I love that. Yeah, and that, that works for some people. But like I said, there are also some people who could still feel that independence with having all the accounts joint too. Because they've just told each other that well yeah you i'll spend about this much this month and you know i'll spend on whatever i want but obviously there's that level of trust between the two of them as well so and that's what i work on people with too it's like how do you even build that trust (laughs) with your partners that takes time yeah yeah for most immigrants what's the most common misconception about money at least the ones that you have dealt with the common misconception about money i think it's how they think about credit cards and like debt debt products in general i i tend to see a lot of immigrants who um i don't know how it is in the philippines but at least in the caribbean i don't feel like it was as easy to get credit products as it is here like hair in Canada, they push it, you know, like you'll just get a letter in the mail like, hey, congratulations, you've been approved for a $5,000 credit card. You know, like it's literally just handed to you. <laughs> it's pushed. Um, That wasn't like that back home. And so for a lot of people who migrate here, when they start to get these credit products, I think they perceive it as like extra money. That's sort of been given to them. <laughs> and they treat it that way. Ghetto rich. So, the what? Ghetto, Ghetto rich. rich. <laughs> yeah. They like, yeah, I got a five thousand dollar credit card, so now I have five thousand dollars in my pocket that I could go spend on five thousand dollars worth of goods. And and they do that. And then they're they figure out like, yeah, well, I know I have to pay it back, but the way the credit card thing is set up is like I just have to make a minimum payment of like $50 every month. So like, yeah, I spent $5,000 worth, but I just have to pay like $50 every month. That's easy. Like I mm-hmm. could do that. And they, they that's how they start to treat it. So they start doing that, but then they don't realize like each time they're doing that, the, the balance is still growing. Like they're paying <laughs> the minimum payment, but their balance is still increasing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what is happening here? And that's where they kind of miss this idea of compound interest and how that works. Simple and math. And it, it just keeps growing and growing. And before you know it, like they just feel like they have this big credit card debt and, 
and they don't have any room to put anything else on the credit card and no collections is calling them and it's just it's just like a mess after that um but it becomes even more of a mess because then they got they get another one in the mail that say hey from a different bank like we would love to give you a two thousand dollar credit card i was like oh great i got two thousand dollars more and and they go and they spend that too so it's just this vicious cycle i i see it as that they just keep digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper and then they get into a lot of debt so yeah your question was the misconception that I see I would then summarize it to say it's probably how they think about these credit products they see it there they seem to think of it as like free money that they could just spend now and they have time to pay it off whenever they want to and that's that's not what it is yeah what common challenges do your clients face when it comes to balancing relationship and finance? I think they just don't know how to talk to each other about money. Um, I think the the biggest challenge I would say from the start is that they aren't even aligned in terms of like what they're working towards. So they don't have any real goals or anything that they're striving for they, we just we love each other and we got married and we knew we wanted to have a family so we had kids and you know we're now living together but then like as life starts to happen they start to realize like they have very different spending patterns and things that they want to spend on um they have different ways that they think about money. Like, you know, some one person might think like we should really be saving for the future. And the other person thinks like, oh, no, I feel like we should try and live life now. <laughs> like, you know, we should be doing a lot more things now. And yeah, it, it's just very different views, different values that they've never really spent time talking about and getting on the same page about and creating goals and saying like, okay. Yeah, if we say we want to save for the future, what are we thinking to save for? Is it for our kids' um, education? Is it for our retirement? Like, what are we saving for? And should we put some timelines around that? And should we figure out, like, how much do we want to save each month towards that? You know, are we thinking about taking a trip in a year or two? Um, you know, what kind of trip should we take? Like, should we start setting aside some money to save for that? Like, it's just having that vision and those goals and literally managing your money in a way to achieve that. Um, they don't do that. So <laughs> that's, that's really what happens. Like that's the biggest challenge in that they're just not on the same page because mm. they don't talk about those things. Yeah. They're scared. One of them is scared. One of them is scared to talk to the other person. Yeah. Some of it is scared. Some of it is, they don't know how some of it is their own issues, um, mm. like personal issues and their own relationship to money. So they just have like their own trauma that they have to work through. Get that trauma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're suggesting, you know, most of the people should save. How do you suggest to them to find balance of enjoying life? Hashtag YOLO, you know, you only live once, and savings. Yeah, how do you find that balance? 
Um, well, it it looks a little different for everybody, for sure. Um, but it it starts off with you definitely have to look at your numbers. Um, you have to understand how much money is coming in every month. You have to understand what are all the required bills and expenses and like those must pay payments that you have to make every month. Um, and once you know that, you take that out of the money that's coming in every month and then out of what's remaining, you're going to now try to figure out with this money that's remaining, how what, how can I split this in a way that makes sense for me? So a good benchmark is that um, some people will put like, 5% towards the savings, 5% towards the investments, and then the rest of it could be used as like fund money from from what's remaining. And depending on if if that's like too much or too little for you, then you make the necessary adjustments, right? But the idea is that you should have a percentage that's going towards savings and a percentage that's going towards investments every single month. And then whatever is remaining is your money to spend on you living your life, your YOLO. <laughs> like that's, that's what that is. Well said, well said. How can individuals ensure financial compatibility when entering into a new relationship? Um, that's a very good question, actually. Yeah, so... I would say it starts with by having some of those conversations that I was talking about in terms of just finding out how your partner thinks about money. You know, like what what do they think about money? Understand what did their parents think about money? Like how how did they grow up seeing money spent in their home or even talked about in their home? Did their parents talk about money or not talk about money? And how has that impacted them? The, the person, you know, does that now make them feel like, oh, I'm never going to do that? Or, oh, yeah, that feels like exactly how I want to manage my money, too. It it literally just comes down to having those conversations, just knowing, really understanding how your partner thinks about money um, and what they value. So try and figure out, like, what are their top values when it comes to spending money? Like, what would they have? no problem spending money on and ask yourself are you okay with that <laughs> you know it's it's not it's not a it's not for you to judge it's not for you to try to tell them oh no like you I don't want you to be spending so much money on that and try to change them because the minute like you go into that partnership thinking like oh yeah I know he he loves to spend on cigarettes but, you know, my plan is to try to get him to stop smoking um, so that he won't spend so much on cigarettes. Like if that is your mindset going in, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Like that is that is where you have to ask yourself, am I OK with this? Am I OK that he loves to spend money on cigarettes? And if you're OK with it, then great. But if not, then it's time for you to consider other options. But yeah. See, Mini, this is the problem here. You're thinking like a smart, intelligent woman, okay? Yeah. I'm a man. If she's a hottie with a body, I will take that. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. You got that's how you, that's how you find yourself in trouble then, because <laughs> yeah, that that means you got into this all based on like physical <laughs> attraction. <laughs> I'm a man, you know. That's how we yeah. do. <laughs> But yeah, no, I know. That's, I that's, hear you. That's so. It it's so poignant what you just said. It makes so much sense. I think we're there, but before we close out, I want to close out with this question, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can afford your coaching. So for those who can't, what advice can you give them? Um, so the, the coaching is a little bit more tailored, obviously. It's, it's more private and specific to each person's individual needs. So there is no broad advice I could give for for somebody who is interested in coaching but feels like they can't afford it but in terms of people who are just maybe struggling with their partner in general when it comes to talking about money um, my biggest advice I would say is that you just need to you need to sit down and create a plan for your money and you can do this without your partner Like you just have to sit down and say, okay, this is how much money I'm bringing in. This is how much money my partner is bringing in. These are all the expenses that we have to pay as a couple, as a family every single month. And based on what's left over from that, determine what you think would be a good balance of what you should be saving, what you should be investing And then the remainder of that is what you get to spend on whatever you want. Start by creating that and then share that with your partner. But share it in a way to say, hey, so this is what I've been thinking. I know you value spending on these things. I've created a plan that I think will give us a good balance of you still being able to spend on some of these things. Maybe not everything, but some And we can still save and invest, you know, for things that we want to do as a family and invest in for our future and still get to cover our bills every month. But yeah, here here's the plan. And just like have this fully transparent numbers that you can just share. Maybe your partner might not be a numbers person and don't want to like sit on and go through the numbers with you. That's okay. But I think what your partner wants to know is that One, you've actually considered the things that are important to them and know that, yeah, like I want to be able to spend money on this and there's a plan for them to be able to spend money on this. Um, and yeah, and that you're also thinking about a future with them and, and goals that are important to them. And, you know, you can now ask for their feedback on like, yeah, where do you think we could make some adjustments here? And, you know, if you think we should probably... You put in more towards a Disney trip in like the next year. Do you think we could probably cut back on, I don't know, grocery for the next few months? Like, but now it starts that conversation, you know, because you have the numbers in front of you, you have a plan in front of you and you can go from there. So I know for a lot of people, some people could hear me say this and they right away clicks for them and they're like, yeah, I could go and do this. And then there's some people who, they still need that handholding. <laughs> like they, they, they're just not good with the creating a plan. They're not good with the numbers. They just, they want that structure. 
And that's where I work with them. But I'm also trying to, um, like, that's where I said the workshop and the courses and stuff are coming because I, I get that not everybody wants to do the one-on-one. And so I'm hoping that I could package this more in a, a workshop and course I love way it. I that love could it. reach more people. Yeah. I love it. Wise word from a wise woman. Again, Mini. Oh, thank you, Aaron. <laughs> thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate it, too. I had a great time. Thank you. You too. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Again, Mini, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Endel Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.